So if the patient actually have some voluntary movement ability on the left side, on the affected side, help them to voluntarily move this side as often as possible. Welcome to the 8th Annual Stroke Conference, Breaking Barriers. There's more to getting home than walking. In this podcast, Dr. Pei Chen of Kessler Foundation presented Impact of Spatial Neglect on Family Caregivers of Stroke Survivors. For more information about Dr. Chen, read her bio in the program notes. This conference was sponsored by Kessler Institute for Rehabilitation and was a one-day event that provided participants with an understanding of the multidisciplinary approach to rehabilitation that enables stroke survivors and their families and caregivers to rebuild their lives. Discussion will focus on communication, motivation, spatial neglect, sleep issues, bowel and bladder management, and community integration. Uh, I'm a senior research scientist at Kessler Foundation. Uh, I work at Center for Stroke Rehabilitation Research. I've been working at Kessler Foundation since 2007. So I've been working with KIR for clinical research since then. So uh, a lot of things I'm going to talk about today is actually based on the collaboration, based on the research that we do here uh, and also at Kessler Foundation. So my disclosures, uh, like I said, I am employed by the Kessler Foundation and uh, I receive funding from New Jersey Commission on Brain Injury Research and also the National Institute on Dis Disability, Independent Living and Rehabilitation Research. And I'm also the uh, lead developer of two instruments that you may heard of, Kessler Foundation Neglect Assessment Process, or KFNAP, and the Kessler Foundation Prism Adaptation Treatment, or KFPAT. And uh, related to KFPAT, there's a patent pending on it. Um, and so even though I'm not going to talk about KFNAP, KFPAT, but you may heard of it, and these are actually, we in the foundation, we consider them as products. So if you want to use them, purchase anything about it, the contact person is actually me, but I'm basically a saleswoman in that regard, but I do not receive any financial bonuses, any compensation from doing it, so please feel free to contact me if you need information related to KFNAP, KFPAT. Um, and, so, and also, I'm the content creator for two websites. I'm going to show you one of them today. So if you go on this website, you will see this. I'm going to play this. Um, later soon. This is a PSA that Kessler Foundation created and the structure, uh, the architecture um, uh, of the website actually is here. Rob is here, um, our director of communication. And uh, so if you go on this website, we created three specific pages. One is for stroke survivors, one is for family caregivers, and the last one is for professionals like you or uh, researchers. And so the difference between the three pages is we um, introduce spatial neglect to three different stakeholders, just in the language that's friendly for them to understand why, what spatial neglect is. So, and this PSA has uh, aired since May this year. If you haven't seen it, you're going to watch it with me today. A stroke can be easy to detect. A loved one can't speak, perhaps they can't move. But there's another sign of a stroke that many of us can't see. It's called spatial neglect, and it can occur during or after a stroke, causing distorted visual movements. Fortunately, there's a solution by using optical prism technology during rehabilitation. If you or a loved one have experienced a stroke, ask your doctor about spatial neglect. 
spatial neglect. See the whole picture at KesslerFoundation.org. I am not going to talk about prism adaptation today, just so you know. Today's topic is the impact of spatial neglect on family caregivers. My lecture today is to understand the impact of spatial neglect on stroke survivors, to learn the impact of spatial neglect on stroke survivors' family caregivers, and to discuss how stroke care professionals can help prepare family caregivers for caring for patients with spatial neglect. So you probably know the stats already. Every year, more than 795,000 Americans have a stroke, and more than 80% of them survived it, which is good, right? They don't die out of it, but that means we have a lot of stroke survivors. And as all of you know, stroke, it's not just that moment. Um, the recovery can take years. Sometimes for some patients, it takes their lifetime to recover from stroke. An estimated 7.2 million American adults are stroke survivors. This number is likely to increase because our population is aging and also because stroke survival rate is in improving. And the number down here is a worldwide number. So worldwide, there are 80 million stroke survivors and 50 million of them are permanently disabled. So we have a huge population that we're serving here. So. I just mentioned the regaining functional independence after stroke can take years. And also, what is functional independence? From clinician perspective, we have our you know, standardized scales. For patients and their family members, their functionally independence could be very different from patient to patient, right? So some patients, they struggle a lot to, to you know, return to their normal self, or they have just to adjust what's the new life. And one factor prolonging this recovery very significantly is spatial neglect, okay? And before I tell you what it is, I'm going to tell you more numbers. So this number, this stats is actually coming from Kessler Institute that uh, we did a study with uh, KIR. Uh, we found that um, this uh, syndrome or disorder, spatial neglect, occurs in 50% of stroke patients in rehabilitation hospital setting. So what is spatial neglect? It's a syndrome of impaired spatial attention. So usually, so, so most stroke patients, they have unilateral brain uh, damage. So stroke occur in the brain, by the way. A lot of family members or patients themselves, they actually do not know about this. I believe doctor told them, but they are just not paying that much attention at that stage. However, as you know, stroke affects brain. And, uh, and Oh, sorry, I'm like doing this gesture, uh, like in the air. So, so for example, in this case that I'm going to, um, uh, this example I'm going to give you to today is all based on patients who have right brain stroke and they're neg neglecting the space opposite to the damage. Why is that? It's like, uh, as you know, after right brain stroke, patients' left side, their left body is weaker, right? If after left brain stroke, the right side is weaker. Similarly, attention is the same thing. After right brain stroke, your attention toward the other side is weaker. If it's the stroke happened on the left side, your attention to the right side is weaker. Okay, so these examples are based on different, I'm going to show you many examples. These are ex examples are, uh, I collected from patients who have right brain stroke and they show left side neglect. So for example, here, this is a copy task. This is the model that patient is supposed to copy down on the page, just on the you know, regular letter size paper. And the patient is paying a lot of attention on the right side, neglecting the left side. So as you see, these two trees are drawn here, half of a house, half a plant. 
Okay, and in this particular example, the patient showed two types of neglect. Most neglect that we see clinically are so-called body-based. They neglect the space, left side of the space, related to their body. But about 40% of patients, they also neglect the left side of each object. So for example, this tree is on the so-called good side, on the right side, but the left side of the tree is missing. The left side of this house, the left side of this plant is missing. So if you want to translate into daily life, just imagine like some patient, they only eat half of a plate on the table and only pay attention to the right side of each object. Another example, this is so-called target cancellations. This test is actually done here on this location, a part of their um, screening for neglect. And uh, so the task is we print this page out and then give it to patient. Um, they look around and we want them to cross out all the small stars. So there are big stars, small stars, and letters. And so you can see this patient paying a lot of attention on the right side, neglecting the left side almost entirely. In this example, I gave the patient this paragraph printed on a piece of paper, and I hold the exact same paper in front of me, and I ask him, can you read this paragraph? And I just, so on my end, I just underlined the words that he read. So again, he's not reading anything on the left side. He read words on the right side. In this example, I want to show you spatial neglect is a, it, it's really, it can be disabling. A lot of uh, daily tasks, especially reading, we read almost every day, but we don't tell people what we read. So in this case, if I didn't do that or ask him, I would, he would say, oh, I finished reading, and I will believe him, right? The funny thing, oh, not funny, like an interesting thing is he said, this is an interesting story. So actually this happened after I, well, I'm a researcher, so I have to consent patient to my study. After he did this, I'm like, oh, let's do the consent again. Because during the consenting, he read the form. I didn't know what he read, right? So at this time, I just I have to read word by word with this person. Here are more examples. So in that case, that's a very severe case of patient who have neglect. This person also have right brain stroke. And uh, we cannot do any test with, with her, but her position, just this, this is his, her default resting state. She was just sitting there doing nothing. But her center is all the way to the right, so she's sit leaning all the way to the right, okay, and then lean this way, and her eyes is focusing on the right side. In this example, uh, there's no, this is actually classic. I, I stopped this, this man in the hallway and I said, I have to take a picture of you. We call this hanging glasses syndrome. So uh, I saw some of you wearing glasses. I wear glasses too, and now I'm wearing contact lenses. In the morning when you just woke up, right? You fumble, you find your glasses, you put it on. No problem. You don't need vision to put on glasses because you know how big your face is you know how big the, your glasses is. You know where your nose, where your ears are. Most people should be able to do that. And in this case, this person is neglecting the left side of his own body. So the left side of the glasses is hanging. And also why I take this picture is because maybe it's not very clear on the picture. He only shaved the right side of his face that morning. So this is very, uh, I would say, common in um, male patients. In female patients, sometimes you'll see them, they only put makeup on on the right side. 
And these are very striking because when they do this task, they actually do it in front of the mirror. They are looking at themselves. Okay. So what I want to emphasize is maybe some of you heard of spatial neglect or different names of it, visual spatial neglect, hemispatial neglect. And some, some of you may think of it as a visual problem. It's actually not a visual problem. It's a tension problem that affecting visual function. So the definition of spatial neglect is it's a disorder of spatial attention. It affects spatial perception. It affects visual perception, affects auditory perception, tactile perception, proprioception. It also affects representation. So if you test their spatial memory, ask them, can you show me on the like, blank map of America, show me where California is. They will point on the East Coast side. <laughs> okay. um, or their mental imagery, the, the, the ability to manipulate image, uh, images in their head is damaged. And the lastly, actually, I think this most important one is on the back you cannot see. You can see a lot of neglect symptoms in motor control related functions. And that's highly related to stroke rehabilitation, especially in you know, their, they lost ability to initiate movement toward the neglected side. I saw so many patients, they only make right turn. Sometimes they will, I actually hear they will play a song from Beyonce. Some of you know there's a lyric about I think to the left, to the left. Um, and, uh, um, and also mobility. A lot of them, they're able to walk. But they cannot walk safely because they will veer. So for example, if, I pa if I'm patient with neglect, I may just slowly walk toward this side. And a lot of them, because of this, they're not paying attention on their left side. They bump into things. And that's a safety hazard. So these are what I just showed you, the symptoms. And definition, any questions? Okay, so, so now um, here it's a cartoon of a brain. I want to tell you why after right brain stroke you neglecting the left, after left brain stroke you may neglect the right. So this, so we all have two hemispheres of the brain, okay, and this is the network of attention. And the two hemispheres are in balance in healthy people, you know, and they in balance in terms of their inter, uh, inhibiting each other all the time. In this case, the right side is damaged. So the right side is damaged. So now the left side is strong and inhibiting it, right? Because it's so strong, then it biases patient's attention all the way to the opposite side, to the right. So they're neglecting the left. And here is an example, um, recent, uh, well, not really recently. It's published in 2000, I think 2014. So basically, what I'm trying to say is a lot of you probably read about neglect and think of it as a cortical problem or a parietal. Parietal lobe is around here. This is occipital, parietal, frontal, temporal. It's a parietal problem. But a lot of literature and research has shown it's a network problem. Basically, anywhere it's damaged, this person may demonstrate spatial neglect. And also, it's not a cortical problem. It's actually a network problem. Network means connection. So the white matter fiber actually is very important. For someone who had lesion that involving any of these white matter tracts that connecting the back of the head to the front of the head, even, even if the lesion is very tiny, this person will have spatial neglect for a long time. And it's very hard to treat. 
Here is an example how I do the study to look at patients' vision in their brain is uh, we collect patients' uh, clinical scan from um, acute hospitals. It could be CT, it could be MRI, but different machine parameter. It's impossible to just compile all of them to make a comparison. And also everybody has different size of the head, different shape of the brain. So the way to make this comparison is to look at the, to read the CT scan or MRI scan and literally draw on the computer patient's lesion on, on a template, okay? So that's how we com make comparison across different patients. So the content of the study, it doesn't matter, but I want to show you that these are 12 different patients who have spatial neglect. All of them show spatial neglect behaviorally. But as you can see, the lesion can be large, can be tiny, could be cortical, could be subcortical. So it's unpredictable, okay? just based on their radiology scan. So if you just show me a CD scan and ask me, what do you think? Do you think the patient may have neglect? Like, test them. I cannot say it for sure, okay? Because just remember, it is a network problem, not a, not a focal um, problem. Okay, so, all right, I think everyone's nodding, not really like falling asleep yet. Okay, great. So. Impact of spatial neglect. Um, so these are based on the study that I did uh, with the KIR staff. Uh, we found that um, consistent with the literature since 1980s, we found patients who have spatial neglect, they stay in hospital longer, prolonged hospitalization. For patients who have spatial neglect, uh, stroke patients here, they stay 10 days longer than stroke patients who do not have spatial <coughs> neglect. For, patient, for TBI patients, five days longer. That means more cost. That also means they receive more rehab. So you, you expect, you know, they may get better eventually. However, that's not the case. They actually still have poorer outcome compared to patients who do not have spatial neglect. And they have higher risk of in-hospital falls. Like I said, a lot of them, they may eventually gain ability to walk. But that actually means that they are more likely to fall because they think they are independent. One thing about neglect is they do not know they have neglect. Otherwise, they will not neglect. Um, so the, the key is because, for example, for a patient who have, who have left neglect, this is their world. This part doesn't exist to them. So for them, it's normal. That's, this is their world. When you say look to the left, they may look here. They don't go past midline. This is their left. So it is actually very hard to treat them if, they do not, if, they, if their self-awareness is very low. That means it's hard to treat them using strategy, right? You have to do other ways to first to improve their self-awareness and then slowly um, help them to understand they have this problem and then you know, want, want them to engage in the therapy and hopefully they will learn. Um, so it's a difficult problem. Now, because of all of this, they're less likely to go home. Okay, I've said that. So, um, so I, later I did a study, I published two years ago. I worked with uh, family members of stroke patients. I'm going to show you some data here. So I worked with two groups of family caregivers. I basically, I asked them, just give me an estimation. How much time did you spend with a patient doing caregiver activities. Well, of course, during the survey, I don't use that term. I asked them, uh, how much time do you do, did you do last week for housekeeping, arrange transportation, prepare meals, 
help them get dressed, go to the bathroom, doing ma medication management, finance, everything. And then they just tell me what they've done, how much time they, they give me an estimate. And this is the estimation on average. It's 1.6 hours per day for a week. And then I ask them, what about just general supervision? Just keep an eye on the patient. You're not doing anything particular, but stay in the same room watching them. It's about 5.5 hours per day. And this data is, very, is consistent to the literature because um, you may know stroke care caregiver literature is huge. Um, a lot of you already identified the problem, their burden and stress in this population. I asked this quest the same question to family caregivers of stroke patients who have neglect. As you can see, the number is much higher. They spend four hours a day doing care and assistance related activities and 17 hours a day just supervising patients. That means all waking hours. You have to sleep for seven or eight hours. So it's really, really demanding. And uh, because of this data, I've been trying to, um, to design new studies to first to assess what is supervision exactly? What do you do? What do they do? What, is it very stressful or very burdensome? And how can we help? Just to make this case, uh, I want to tell you a story of this couple, Mr. and Mrs. G. So this couple, actually this, uh, the patient, patient is the Mr. G. And um, um, the reading example that I gave is pr from him. I worked with them for almost a year um, for the study. And at that time, he was five year post-stroke. He still have very severe neglect. And uh, his wife said, yes, um, people told them that he has neglect, but no one, well, he said, she said no one told them how to address it. And then they just believe he's going to be like this, you know, the rest of his life. And uh, it's kind of depressing. Um, and that is one of the reasons that I want to work with them. And the first day I met them, they were late. And um, Mrs. G, the caregiver, apologized when I met them. They were late about 30 minutes. She said uh, just about when they are about to, to leave the house, she found out he only shaved the right side of his face. So they have to go back in and redo it again. And um, Mr. G is, has very strong personality. He refused to get help from his wife. So he just have to do it again. Um, and so he, they were late and they came in and they do the consent and then I do this and I realized, oh, we have to reconsent because apparently he didn't read the whole page. Um, the thing is, he is, at that time, he, he appeared highly functioning. He walked with a cane, not even a walker, he can walk. And then he used his right hand using the, uh, the cane. He sometimes will move his, his left arm and then but it's not often. But according to his wife, he has full range of motion. He's just not using the left side as often as you know, most people would like him to do. Um, so then I start working with them uh, almost bi-weekly. I go to their house and usually I uh, stay in the, their kitchen because they have a big dining table and I do survey and different paper, paper pencil tasks with the patient. And usually during the session, the wife will stay in the living room. So I've been there many, many times, and I witnessed one incident. That's quite dramatic for me. Um, so every time when I arrive, uh, his wife will prepare coffee for both of us. And uh, usually in the middle of the session, uh, Mr. G will stand up and say he's going to warm his, his coffee because it's not warm enough. He will just turn around because the microwave is behind him, and he will open the microwave and put it in 50 seconds, and then, 
and then we continue the session. And that day, he did the exact same thing. I was sitting at a table, uh, at the dining table, and, and minding my own business. And, uh, and 15 seconds later, the microwave beeped. He opened the microwave, and, and the next thing I know, he's yelling at his wife, uh, yelling to the living room direction, saying, where's my coffee? And the wife rushed in, and I looked up, and I re we both realized that the mug just basically turned in the microwave and turned to the left side. When he opened it, he, it didn't occur to him just to look, because that's only 15 seconds. No one come into the kitchen during that time. And the, but the first thing he thinks to do is to ask for his wife's help. Um, and I would say that is a quite dramatic um, time for me because even if I was there, his wife has to be in the same house too. And later his wife told me about an uh, um, incident. Um, they, they did a road trip to Maryland to visit their daughter and then they stopped at um, the um, like resting area, go to the bathroom. He accidentally walked into ladies' room because he only read men on that sign. And they were both super embarrassed and so from that time on, his wife had to accompany him all the time to make sure that he go to the correct bathroom and then come back to where they should be. So yeah, so it is very stressful for family caregivers, especially for them, even though they were told that patients have neglect, but they don't understand what that really means in daily life. And then some people may say, oh, he must have dementia. But it's not, it's spatial neglect, and it's actually treatable. Um, and uh, um, it's just really unfortunate. So I really want to advocate for assessing and treating spatial neglect. Okay, that's just one case. And in this study, we have 40 um, uh, caregivers involved. And uh, so other than asking them to estimate how much time they spend during, doing all those tasks, we also use this um, self-report scale, um, ask them like, what they feel about their uh, different areas of burden. So in this graph, uh, the dark bars are caregivers of patients who have spatial neglect. The lighter bars are caregivers of patients who do not have neglect. And there are five areas uh, assessed. These three are almost the same, but these two, patients who have, um, caregivers of patients who have neglect, they report higher burden than, than caregivers of patients without neglect. So I'm going to highlight those two areas. Basically, they report higher or more burden in general strain. So I'm going to read some questions out of this area. So for example, do you feel tired or worn out? Do you feel tied down? Are you mentally tied from taking care of the patient? Okay. And isolation, uh, this area, there are three questions. One is, uh, do you avoid inviting friends home? Has your social life lessened? So in the same couple, this remind me, so Mr. G, he was actually a writer, and uh, he loved French movies. He has so many old French movies, but after stroke, he said he, could, uh, he couldn't watch them anymore because he couldn't read the caption. But, but he didn't say that, but that's what I assume. Um, and uh, and he, he preferred to stay home, but his wife told me he, she actually preferred to go to see new movies so that she can get out of the house. Um, and, um, and I hope in an, my future study, I can actually uh, assess this burden even more specifically. 
<coughs> so here are some potential solutions that I uh, suggest to family caregivers, which you may be able to do uh, in your clinical practice. So uh, I hope you can communicate about spatial neglect through concrete examples using functional outcome measures, rather than showing family caregivers of a drawing performance. That's not very helpful because patients, they don't usually draw uh, in their daily life. Um, you, you actually, um, so that's what this, uh, the instrument that we developed called KFNAP is very helpful because the family, um, usually OT will go to patient's room and observe patient in daily activities, like for example, watch them to uh, finish a meal or uh, watch them how to you know, um, clean their face or shave and then they can present the result to the family members and show them concrete example what is spatial neglect look like in daily life. And that will help this communication. Rather than telling family members, oh, it's a spatial attention problem. They can see just they don't attend. No, it's very hard for anyone to understand that statement. So provide concrete examples always help. And integrate spatial neglect management and related safety precautions into systematic protocol of family training. I know there's no standardized family training protocol. It's really based on your practice, your scope of practice, or your discipline. You may have different kind of training. But spatial neglect is very fundamental and essential to almost all activities that you do, the patient do, like have an interaction with the environment with people. So you can try to integrate this. Especially some patients, they have very low self-awareness. It's harder for them to learn strategy. Even if they learn strategy, they may not remember the cue. Okay, so you need to integrate all this management into uh, your family training. And of course, share evidence-based approach that may improve uh, patient's spatial attention toward neglected side. So I'm going to uh, share what so-called evidence-based approach. There are evidence-based approach to treat uh, spatial neglect. And recently, American Heart Association, American Stroke Association, they published this guideline for stroke rehabilitation in uh, adults. Um, so this colorful chart is just the way the system they use how to um, evaluate different studies focusing on different type of symptoms after stroke. For spatial neglect, they recommended seven different treatment options. So there are options, okay? And because today's lecture is focusing on family caregivers, I'm going to recommend things that family caregivers can do safely Okay, and then you can, of course, you can demonstrate it to family caregivers first and then to facilitate them how to do it with the patient. Just full disclosure, I'm not going to talk about prism adaptation and virtual realities because family caregivers, they cannot do this too. So the others, visual scanning training, um, some of you may know about this. If the patient is able to learn strategy, you can teach visual search or scanning to start an anchor on the neg neglected side. Let's say the patient has left neglect. Help the patient find the edge of the left side, either the table or a piece of paper or the beginning of the paragraph. So some strategy is to put a colorful object on the left side, and then some patient, they may not be able to find the edge. So you literally just take their hand and trace all the way. Patient can do that, okay? They just trace and then they, after, of course, multiple practice, they will learn, oh, they have to do this first and then stay there and they can start scanning, okay? And I, so for example, I, I saw a patient, a female patient, she put uh, her index finger uh, nail polish in red 
to remind herself. She always have to do this. Okay. Um, next one, the optokinetic stimulation. Um, this is an eye move, movement exercise. It's an exercise turning eyeballs from the good side, so for example, from the right side to the left side. So you can use your finger or any object, ask patient to look in front of you, and then don't move their head, just move from the good side to the bad side. Just keep practicing this eye movement to stimulate um, the neuroplasticity and paying attention to the left side. So this is actually not a strategy learning, really something that someone has to initiate this and then really practice a lot. Okay, limb activation. So this term, the term activation meaning activate the brain, okay? So like I, we just established, right side, of the, right side of the brain control the left side of the body, right? So if the patient actually have some voluntary movement ability on the left side, on the affected side, help them to voluntarily move this side as often as possible. Really, as a, rather than just, oh, I want you to move. Like you have to find some strategy to help them to keep moving on this side. Because the more they move, the more this brain is activated, this side of the circuit is activated. And attention network is highly uh, dominated over here, so it will help um, the structure and then or reorganization of the neurons uh, on the affected hemisphere. So this is why it's called limb activation. So like uh, here, I'm going to read it. If the patient is able to move the affected arm, use it to perform reaching task toward neglected side. So the patient that I just showed you, like she had very severe leaning um, posture problem. She couldn't really follow commands. So it's very hard for, for her to, you know, to participate in therapy. So her husband asked me how can he do you know, to help. And I said, just ask her to point, to point your nose or touch your nose. So start from the bad side, see if she can do it, if she can touch her nose, and if she can, then sit to the left side, see if she can do that. And then, yeah, they practice that. Every time when the husband visits her in the hospital, they can practice that. This is a good practice because it's practice outside therapy session. As you know, rehabilitation is all about repetition. <coughs> you want the patient to do this again, again, again. Last one, neck vibration literally meaning vibrating the neck. Um, so it's actually, you can use massagers or different, um, even without the, the device, you can just rub the, the back of the neck uh, on the neglected side. So really it's a massage the back of the neck on the neglected side, just read it. So it's very simple and a caregiver can do. And then um, especially if they're, if they're spouses, it's something that they can do, you know. Okay, any questions? Yes? You can do that too, yes. So is it just like a reminder or is it actually? It's a sensory reminder, yes. Does it actually help with the neuroplasticity of improving flight? There's actually evidence showing that, yes. Mm -hmm. Because here it's very close to vestibular system. That's why it's, it's the back of the neck rather than the back of some parts. Yeah, it's here. Okay. All right, so the take home message. Spatial neglected syndrome caused by impaired attention network. That's something I want to like really instill in your brain. Like it's not a visual problem. It's a disorder that affects vision. Okay. 
uh, it affects other things, affect motor control, affect your tactile sensation too. Uh, spatial neglect affects multiple perceptual, cognitive, and motor functions. Family training should involve de demonstration of neglect symptoms in daily activities and include practical tips for sensory cueing and safety precautions. So lastly, I want to thank many people because I cannot do all this by myself. Uh, Dr. Barra, she is still currently my supervisor, but in a week, she's moving to Georgia. She's going to be part of Emory system. Dr. Muyang Opar, she was actually also here as an attending uh, physician. Now she's the medical officer of Burke Rehab. Kimberly Reha, she was here too. I don't know, everyone left. <laughs> um, she was an OT here forever, not forever, for eight or nine years. And then I've, we always work together. Even now, we still work together. Now And then she uh, got her uh, doctoral degree, and then we're still collaborating. And Jenny Masmela is a research coordinator in my research center, and uh, without her, I cannot do a lot of things. So, so because yesterday I prepare business cards, but I'm, I run out of it. So if you can, if you want to contact me, please email me. I put my email here. If you cannot see, it's P, my the initial, my first name, P Chen, my last name, at Kessler Foundation one word dot org. So if you no know, questions, you can ask me during the panel session or email me. Any questions is welcome. For more information about Kessler Foundation, go to KesslerFoundation.org. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you get your podcasts.